Hello, and welcome back to the I Hear Design podcast. Chief Content Director Robert Niemann here coming to you from my home office in sunny South Florida. I appreciate you tuning into today's episode and making us a part of your busy day. I've been watching the news headlines, and obviously we're seeing an uptick in the number of COVID cases, which is somewhat unsettling, and it's got me thinking about healthcare design again. Obviously, the pandemic had a major impact on healthcare design, and I've been wondering where things will shift in the years ahead. As we know, prior to the pandemic, we were seeing a trend toward community-based outpatient centers and away from massive healthcare campuses. But I was wondering, is that something that's going to continue? And if so, where will these spaces be housed? Like, will they primarily be standalone new construction pop-ups or will existing real estate be renovated in strip malls or other vacant commercial buildings? To answer these questions and others, I invited Aaron McCarthy, Principal of Healthcare Design at Francis Kaufman Architects, to join me on the podcast to talk about the future of healthcare design. Aaron has focused his career on healthcare design and innovative architecture, and over the past 23 years, he's led collaborative teams for numerous national healthcare clients across the U.S. and Europe. And he also recently delivered a, a webinar presentation on the topic that he talked about during our conversation. So I think you'll find his perspective really insightful. So have a listen. Hi, Aaron. It's good to see you. Welcome to the I Hear Design podcast. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Robert. Thanks for having me. Great. Hey, wh where are you calling in from, by the way, Aaron? Um, I'm located in uh, Havertown, Pennsylvania, but my offices are downtown Philadelphia. Great. Oh, so are you working from home still then? or uh, some, Most of the time, not all of the time, but some of the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's always interesting to hear where, you know, what people are doing now. I know some people are kind of migrating back to the office here and there a little bit, but. Uh, yeah, we've probably got about eight to 10% of our staff that comes in on a regular basis, but we're hoping that after Labor Day, the workforce returns. Right. Yeah. I mean, it looks like the hybrid thing is going to be ongoing, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But, uh, yeah. but anyway, well, for our listeners that uh, aren't familiar uh, with, with the work that you do or FCA, uh, do you want to give us kind of the quick elevator pitch? Uh, on, uh, yeah. On sure. Your yeah. So uh, uh, FCA, I'm a principal of uh, Francis Kaufman Architects. We've been around since 1954. Um, I specialize in healthcare services. So most of my clients are, are based on Eastern Seaboard, but all I do is I specialize in, in both inpatient and outpatient healthcare experiences. So I've been doing it for 22 years. Okay. Well, yeah. And that's what kind of, you know, that's what we're here to talk about really is, uh, you know, healthcare design and sort of where things are, are headed. Um, so what I wanted to ask you is just I've noticed at least there it seems to be a trend towards maybe smaller community-based you know outpatient centers that really look more like a retail-based model you know that are located maybe in buildings that previously housed retail stores. Um, are you seeing that as well as far as like a trend? And if so, what are some of the drivers behind the, this sort of shift in healthcare design that we're seeing? Well, this this trend is not uh, something new. It's been taking place over the last ten years or so. Um, what's happening is um, as uh, as we've found that a lot of the procedures that take place in healthcare um, are migrating outside of the inpatient setting, um, you know, procedures that normally would have required a hospital stay can now be done overnight and uh, are being done on a daily basis. So there's been a big shift, you know, having these procedures done inside of a hospital is very expensive space. So um, the shift has been to try and get these services closer to the communities they serve. So there's been a large input. And obviously, this pandemic has changed the way um, um, hospitals look at this space. The space is existing in communities. Um, a lot of businesses have gone out of business. In New Jersey alone, there's been over 4 million square feet of new retail space that's come available 
um, because these businesses have shut down or shuttered or moved on. So there's a variety of different spaces. So hospitals yeah. have recognized that it's built into the communities and, um, and you know, the shift to outpatient services has been taking place. So uh, the pandemic has really accelerated um, hospitals' interest in, in converting these spaces to ambulatory care practices. Sure, sure, yeah. So Aaron, who's driving the demand for repurposing these retail spaces for healthcare? Like, is it coming from the client side or does your team suggest possible sites that can be repurposed? Like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. it starts with, a, with what we refer to as an ambulatory network strategy. Okay. So um, hospitals and health systems have recognized that they need to be closer to the communities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's <clears throat> what, what we refer to as the boomer generation. There's 71 million Americans, which are, you know, between the ages of 57 and 75. So this boomer generation who, you know, have been more economically advantaged than the current generation, um, you know, they want convenience. They want to be in, the, in these communities. So, um, you know, a lot of time is spent, you know, figuring out exactly what they need and how to get them closer. The, the push has been towards outpatient. The, the, the trend in healthcare design is that hospitals will only be for the sickest of patients. So if you really are sick and you need to be in a hospital and you need a, uh, whether it's an ICU treatment and the pandemic has shown us what's happened with the use of ICUs, but you will only, you know, if you, if hospitals will only be used for the sickest of sick patients, everybody else will be in an ambulatory setting. So getting, getting uh, what they refer to as a hub and spoke strategy, many hospitals and health systems have done this for years. They also have a, um, you know, very uh, competitive demographic too. So they, they, they try to, capture the patient early and keep them as a loyal patient throughout their entire um, healthcare life, if you will. So, um, um, you know, providing the necessary, you know, healthcare systems and, and requirements is important to be able to have a patient for life. So it's, it's about convenience. It's about getting out into the community, getting these, getting these, these services as close to the community as they possibly can. Yeah, definitely. What do you see as being some of the benefits of switching to this more sort of localized community-based uh, uh, format? Well, it really is. Uh, one of the biggest benefits is um, the cost and speed to market. Um, if you're building a brand new um, healthcare retail setting, you know, there's a lot of procedures you need to go through. You need to acquire the land. You need to go through a very comprehensive zoning uh, structure. Whereas if you have an existing supermarket or an existing Staples or a Home Depot or a, a Walmart, these buildings exist today. So there is speed to market in terms of, of what you can do to them, how you can convert these buildings to a retail setting. Obviously, for health systems, branding is very important. So they want these buildings to, to be recognizable for a health system so that when you walk into a hospital, you recognize it's a specific hospital. The outpatient branding will be the same. So there'll be exterior modifications that will be need to be need to be made to the buildings so that you know you're walking into one of these settings. Hospitals, it's very important for hospitals to um, to um, maintain their patient satisfaction. So, um, you know, their, their patient scores, patients want to have, they have flexibility, they have options in where they go to get their treatment, whether it's inpatient or outpatient. So having the flexibility and having these spaces in the community is really key to a health system's decision to locate it whether it's an ambulatory surgery practice or just a medical office practice or a multi-specialty practice within the community. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. The branding element and, and you're right. I mean, cause I think patients and consumers have so many more choices now, right? So, I mean, it's just point of differentiation, providing that, that higher level of, of service and design too of, of the environment uh, really makes a difference. It, it does. Yes. I mean, uh, one of the other benefits of, um, 
of this, which we're seeing a lot more interest in is, is the sustainability aspect of it. Um, you know, um, to build a new building you know, costs a certain amount of time and effort and, and money, but reusing an existing structure is, is, is a lot less carbon beneficial, if you will. It's, it's sure. from a sustainability, there's a very strong story. And, you know, the next generation is, is a lot more keyed into um, being sustainable in their practices and the reusing of these, of these buildings rather than letting them just sit there idle. Um, is is really important. Plus the fact that with this pandemic, um, a lot of uh, retailers are looking to health systems to see if they would be interested in converting and they're giving them very, very good lease rates and very good um, you know, opportunities to, to convert these projects. Yeah, and that's a great point you make about sustainability part of it. I, I didn't even necessarily consider that, but I imagine in, in converting these, these spaces that there's gonna be some challenges to doing that from taking something that used to house retail and now it's gonna have medical facilities. What are some of those um, unique challenges to, to, to retrofitting these types of spaces? So there's, there's, there's really two camps that we see out there. There's some folks that believe that um, it is, it's actually more expensive to convert them, but I've proven over the many projects that I've done that if you do a very careful due diligence with these buildings, that it can be successful and it can be actually cheaper cost per square foot than if you were to build a brand new building or build within a hospital, you know, using some of this outpatient or dock in the box space within a hospital or a medical office building, can run anywhere from you know two, three, four, four hundred dollars a square foot inside of a hospital to you know one hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars a square foot. So there's a, a certain cost savings associated with that. But you need to go in with your eyes wide open as to what these challenges are. Many of these buildings, um, um, say a, a, a Home Depot, or a, a Staples building, if you will, depending on the size, um, are built very cheaply. Um, they also have sometimes very thick concrete slabs. So um, you need to really understand what the structure is made of. What can you hang? Many of them are very tall stores. So they'll have 24 feet tall where you really only need nine or 10 feet in clearance. So what do you do with the space above? How do you heat and cool it? If you know all of the challenges with the existing building um, ahead of time, you can factor in the costs associated with the modifications that are needed. The other factor that's really important to consider when you're considering a building or a location um, is again, a due diligence, you have to understand the zoning aspects of it. Things have changed um, in terms of the way we use retail space, obviously with this pandemic. Um, we're seeing a prevalence of what's referred to as dark stores in the neighborhoods. So these are, are neighborhood stores that were retailers, um, walk-in stores, and now essentially they're shuttered and they're becoming um, wholesale distribution centers. Mm -hmm. So um, you're no longer having the foot traffic in the malls, but these in, within the behind the doors, if you will, there's a warehousing and packaging facility for online retailers. So um, having these dark stores in and around your neighborhoods changes the way that they're using and they're being used and, and can have impact on the zoning implications. So truly understand when you're choosing a, a site or a location, um, you know, the implications of zoning. Does the building need variances? Does it have the right access? Does it have the right visibility from the street? Can you park your car correctly? Do you have a, a place where you can drop off patients? You know, some, you know, an ambulatory surgery center, for instance, if you're converting a, a supermarket to an ambulatory surgery center, you've got to have two entrances. You've got to have one for the arriving patients and then the patients that have had a procedure will have a separate discrete exit from the building. So many of these things need to be looked at very carefully. What, what modifications can you make to the building to, to, um, to make it, to convert it to a, a healthcare facility? Many, as I said many times, um, you know, several years ago, most of the infusion therapies that took place 
uh, needed to be done in a in a hospital or an I2 setting. And uh, the codes have changed. Um, so infusion therapies, many of them can be done on an outpatient setting. So we're seeing a lot of infusion therapy um, that's community-based now and converting of these retail spaces for infusion therapy. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, kind of going back to the sustainability piece, I mean, you know, you mentioned that the carbon footprint is going to be less, obviously, but do you find it more challenging to get some of these uh, projects designed to, let's say, uh, a lead standard, um, or are there opportunities? Because like one of the questions I had was about materials or products that you can salvage. I mean, how does that play out in, in terms of, of getting these spaces to, you know, to be as sustainable as possible? Or, or does it depend on the existing space? Yeah, I mean, um, as I said, when you've got an existing uh, facility, whether it's just say if it's a supermarket in the community, you've already got a certain amount of impervious coverage. So rainfall is already draining away. Um, if you create a brand new site that used to be a greenfield site and, and create this rainwater runoff, um, if you will, that's and that's not sustain. It's not sustainably positive. Um, you know, we don't see many of these um, these buildings seeking a green or a, a well certification, if you will. Right. Um, generally, they're you know they're very somewhat inefficient in terms of their um, their construction, but you know. These shells of the building, as, as I say, are built very, very lightweight. The, the roof structure is generally these bar joists, which need to be reinforced. So there is some money associated with that. The exterior insulation, generally these large shell buildings are not very well insulated. Um, they're um, this EFIS or stucco exterior insulation system. So you do need to enhance the shell of the building. Um, but again, it's, 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 it's a lot easier and cheaper to enhance the existing structure than it is to build a brand new construction, if you will. Right. Um, so we were finding that, for, you know, from a it, less construction has a smaller carbon footprint, if you will, sure. and uh, obviously less material waste, you know, has impact on recyclables and landfills. Absolutely. Sure. Are there, I mean, are there particular types of, you know, products or materials that can be salvaged more easily and readily than others? Like, I mean, I imagine, like you mentioned, a concrete slab, I mean, or do you have to kind of gut the inside of the building completely and, and sort of start from scratch or how do you handle navigate around certain products? Generally, you do. Most of the larger big box stores, say, for example, uh, converting an abandoned supermarket. Um, you know, supermarkets have their own deli sections, their own bakery sections. Um, some of those areas are specialized. Generally, it's a complete gut yeah. um, of any. But the, the nice thing about them is many of them are just an open plan. So there's very little other than shelving and other pieces to remove. There's not a lot of walls. Whereas um, putting back in an, uh, an ambulatory physician practices, if you will, or a multi-specialty practice, there's a lot of walls involved and there's a lot of hand-washing sinks. The code require every exam room to have a hand-washing sink. So there's a lot of plumbing associated with, with it. So planning planning um, a, an efficient way to provide utilities and drain utilities from these spaces is really important. The MEP systems as well are very lightweight. So you've got to spend a lot of time understanding exactly what services are required to to um, to uh, to service the building, you know, some inpatient uh, or some outpatient surgery centers require as um, a secondary electric service, so a backup generator is required, and you would have that if it was a medical office building or an inpatient hospital setting. So you do need, in case they lose power, they have to be able to finish a surgery so that the patient is not in danger. Mm -hmm. So there is some added. Um, elements associated with the infrastructure but generally the buildings are you know are gutted right down to the floor slab sure. um, but there is quite a quite a bit of cutting of the floor slab that's always an extra cost that you wouldn't have if it were you know you if you were building ground up you'd put the utilities in the ground before you pour the concrete slab 
Okay. Um, what are some other considerations or topics that uh, design teams should keep in mind um, as they tackle you know, these, these type of healthcare spaces? I, and you touched on quite a few there, but are there any others that we haven't really talked about yet that you think are important to note? Well, I think, I mean, um, one of the most important aspects of, of choosing a location, many of my clients ask me, well, how do I choose a location to, to position a practice, if you will? Um, there's many programs out there and the technology has changed greatly in terms of how you say map it. Um, the technology with artificial intelligence has told us that in a certain community, there's a certain amount of people who have heart, who are heart patients, see? or there's a certain amount of people who need outpatient rehab therapy, if you will. So that, that these patient demographics are tracked very closely. And there's programs out there to, that help hospitals and health systems figure out how many of these patients exist? Do these patients need infusion therapy? Are they cancer patients? Are they in treatment for cancer? Mm -hmm. So they use these demographics to figure out what the best um, service area or catchment area is for the patient populations and then choose the best location. So choosing a location that, you know, as I said, has, has access, direct access, you want, you know, these, these are in the community. So they have built in recognition, if you will, people know them as an acne supermarket and all of a sudden they're a, they're a cancer center. So they're, they're built into the communities. They have visual recognition. And again, it's important from a branding standpoint. So hospitals and health systems want to look very closely at, at, you know, will people be driving by these sites at 40 miles an hour? Is there an off-ramp for a, a highway? Is it easy to get in and out of the sites? Are they confusing when you drive on the site because it only has one entrance and one exit or is there separate exit? Do they have a loading dock? Do, can we, you know, does the loading dock conflict with where you drop off patients? So studying, really studying the and doing the due diligence on the sites ahead of time is very important in choosing the correct location. And then obviously, as I said, um, blending multi-specialty practices, um, many physicians work differently. And so you want to build a lot of flexibility into these retail spaces so that, you know, if they're using one common waiting room, um, how can you build efficiencies in planning and design so that the patient's know where they're going, know who they're going to engage with, know how to get around the building, know where their service providers are located, just having that, that wayfinding, if you will. Some of these buildings are, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 square feet um, in size. So having a, a, an understandable way to get in and around the building is very important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, that's it for the questions I had for you, Aaron. Where can our listeners go if they want to connect with you or if they have questions about FCA's work, maybe see some examples of some of these projects? Yeah, well, um, I have um, I have a webinar out there. If anybody, it's an AIA accredited webinar. If anybody wants to learn more about what I'm seeing in the industry, as I said, I've kind of focused a little bit on this recently only because of the shift and pandemic. I want to see, you know, these buildings utilized as, a, as an architect and I'm very conscious about sustainability, so it's yeah. important. So I have a webinar out there, and you can go to my website and look up my credentials and reach out to me if you any more questions. Yeah. What's the website, and what's the, maybe the title of the webinar so our readers can find them? Yeah, it's um, our website is uh, www.fcarchitects.com. And my name is Aaron McCarthy. My webinar, my AIA accredited webinar, which I'm happy to present to anybody, is called Repurposing Retail for Healthcare, a Current Trend. Okay. Happy to share that. Yeah, great. Well, thanks again for being here, Aaron. I really appreciate it. It's, it's good to chat with you. Very good. Thank you, Robert. Thank yeah. you for your time. All right. Well, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Um, that's all the time we have for today. But be sure to check back here for our upcoming episodes of I Hear Design. And as always, be well, everyone.